we'll read together from verse 15. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel, and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow the decrees and laws Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey Him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are His people, His treasured possession, as He promised and that you are to keep all His commands. He has declared that He will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations He has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as He promised. Amen. Amen. Let me take this opportunity to thank those of you who have asked how our holiday was. We had a good two weeks uh, together, two weeks off, and the first weekend of that holiday was spent away down south at Centre Parks. The weather was mixed, but it was a, a, a great holiday, a great time. It was only the weekend that we went for, which is like Friday through to... Monday, um, that's a good ringtone, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Friday through to Monday, we were there, and uh, what struck me this time, we've done it before, and it strikes me every time, is how much work has to be done by way of preparation for what seems like such a short period of time. Uh, Friday to Monday, and so many things have to be put in place before we are ready to step into our lodge and live there for the weekend at Centre Parks. We have to book the holiday at Centre Parks. Uh, we have to uh, arrange for time off. We have to get the uh, activities booked. We have to get some of the meals booked. We have to get the girls ready. We have to get the clothes ready. We have to get the food ready. We have to get the games ready. That's Deborah's list. <laughs> uh, my list consists of uh, putting the uh, the bike rack on the back of the car. And not only that, but putting the bike on the bike rack, which goes on the back of the car. So I think that's a fairly fair balance of, uh, of duties. And also, I, I, I have to sit in the passenger seat all the way from Airdrie to, to Winfield, this kind of Lake District, Cumbria area, looking nervously at the wing mirror at the bike and the bike rack in the back as they kind of bobble up and down slightly, uh, waiting for them to fall off. Happily, they didn't, and we had a good four days. 
Today, this evening, as we turn to our biblical passage, we're, we're parachuting essentially into a very important time in the history of Israel. It's a time of preparation for the people as they prepare to step in to the land that God has promised will be theirs. It's been a long time coming, but it's now just over the horizon. And the Lord makes sure that His people are ready for the new life that they are to live. Life in the promised land, life in the chosen land, and life lived as the promised people, life lived as the chosen people. There are great blessings for them to enjoy, and there are great responsibilities for them to embrace. And so, if you cast your eyes to the, the preceding verses and indeed chapters, you'll see, see a whole load of rules and regulations that God's people are to embrace and to live by if they are to be the holy people and the happy people that He is calling them to be. And then we, we come to verse 15, that's the verse that we, we land on. We find Moses praying to God, praying to the Lord for the people. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses essentially here is, is exercising a, a priestly ministry. He is speaking to God on behalf of the people. And then in the, the very next verse, he exercises a prophetic ministry because he turns to the people and speaks to them on behalf of God. Verse 16, the Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws, carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. And he reminds them of the commitment that they have made. Verse 17, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey Him. And I want us to dwell on verse 17 this evening. This is my first point, fine words. That's what we find in verse 17, isn't it? Fine words. What the people of the Lord have declared. Moses says, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey Him. They are fine words to declare. Firstly, the Lord is your God. They have declared that the Lord is their God. This is a, a commitment to keep the first of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? 
Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord's people must never bow the knee to any false gods, whether it's the gods that they have left behind in Egypt, the sun gods, uh, Ray, or, you know, whatever other gods were worshipped in Egypt, or whether it's the Canaanite gods that they are about to encounter as they step into the land of promise, Baal, or Asherah, or the New Testament, Roman and Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. So, Zeus is the, the big god. I think Hermes is the the child of, of Zeus. I don't know what Hermes is the, the god of. There's a delivery company called Hermes, and if you've, if you've had dealings with them, then you'll assume that Hermes was the god of uh, unhelpful customer service. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know what, what Hermes was actually the god of. So there are all these gods that, that God's people have had to encounter through the generations, through the different contexts that they find themselves in. Uh, Zeus, Hermes, Diana was another big one that the New Testament church had to, to, to face. Whether it's these gods, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Canaan, the gods of uh, New Testament times, or the gods that fill the, the pantheon of, of our day, the god of, of self, or the god of wealth or the God of popularity. The people of God must never bow the knee to any of these false gods. They are very different, you know, Asherah and Hermes and Diana and Mammon and popularity. They are very different false gods, and yet they're all essentially the same. They all promise what they cannot deliver. They over-promise and under-deliver. Peter uh, says of the false teachers of his day that they are waterless streams. And that's also true of these false gods, whether it's the gods that were worshipped far away a long time ago, or the gods that are worshipped in our streets in this generation today. They are waterless streams. Imagine walking through the desert. I know it's hard with the weather that we have here in Airdrie, but you're walking through the desert, your mouth is dry, you are desperate for a drink, you're dehydrated, you feel as though every step is one step closer to certain death, and then you see in the distance a stream or a spring, and you, you, you make your way towards this spring, desperate for the water that it promises, and you come to this spring to find it's a waterless spring. There is nothing there. It promised so much, and it delivered so little. That is true of any and every false god. They promise so much and they give so little. They have promised the people of God 
to make sure that the Lord is their God. And to do that, to say yes to the Lord, is to say no to all these other false gods. So when I took Deborah to be my wife on the 6th of July, 2006, uh, I, I said yes to Deborah, and she said yes to me, but I also said no to the three billion other women around the world. I'm not sure that any of the three billion other women around the world were that concerned or that bothered, <laughs> truth be told. Maybe they were, and they just hid it very, very well. But nevertheless, that, that's what it is. To marry someone is to say yes to one person and no to everyone else. That's the nature of this covenant commitment that you enter into, this covenantal relationship that you enter into when you enter into a marriage. But it's also the nature of our covenantal relationship with the Lord. When we come to faith in Christ, when we become a child of God, we say yes to the Lord, and He says yes to us wonderfully. But we also say no to every other pretender to the throne, to every other false god who wants to take his seat on the throne room of our hearts and our lives. As God's people prepare to step into the land of promise, Moses reminds them that they have declared the Lord to be their God. Secondly, they have declared that they will walk in His ways. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways. Again, to walk in the ways of the Lord is to not walk in the ways of the wicked. Blessed is the one, says the psalmist, who does not walk in the ways of the wicked. It's not a word you hear very often now, is it? Wicked. What, what picture comes into your mind when you hear that word, wicked? I'm guessing for most of us, it will be a green-faced woman with a funny black hat and a laugh that would send a shiver down your spine, the wicked witch of the West. But actually, wickedness can look very appealing, very attractive. It can be very tempting, and it can be very popular to walk in the ways of God is to go against the crowd. Have you ever been carried along by a big crowd? I remember in the days before the internet, going into the town, going into Glasgow with my mum for the Christmas shopping, and going along uh, any of the main shopping streets in Glasgow was like that. You were shoulder to shoulder with other people, carried along by the crowd. Maybe you've come out of a concert or a football match, and the crowd has been carrying you along this way, and you know that your car is over that way, and you have to decide what you're going to do in that moment. It's much easier just to go with the flow, to go with the crowds, and it's infinitely more difficult to turn against the crowd and to kind of fight your way through in the opposite direction. To choose to walk in the ways of the Lord, is to go against the crowd. It's infinitely more difficult than just being carried along by those 
around us, carried along by what is most popular in whatever culture surrounds us, going against the flow of the wisdom of the world. But this is the Christian life. We are aliens and strangers, even in our own land, even in our own home. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Well, don't let that be you. Press on walking in the ways of the Lord. We heard of the importance of moving forward this morning, didn't we? Moving forward in our relationship with the Lord, in our journey with Jesus. And to do that, we need to take the conscious decision to walk in the ways of the Lord and not to walk according to the wisdom of the world that surrounds us. Blessed is the one who walks in His ways. Thirdly, they have declared to keep His commands. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, that you will obey Him. That sounds a bit anti-grace, doesn't it? Surely all you need is love. Love, love is all you need. Not law, law. Law is all you need. Well, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, this is about relationship. This is about healthy, living relationship and fellowship with the Lord. It's not dry, box-ticking, aimless rule-keeping. John says, by this we can be sure that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. If we don't do what He says, then we should consider the possibility that we are not true believers, we are make-believers. As we grow in Christian maturity, we come to see time and time again more and more clearly that to keep the commandments of the Lord is life, it is joy, it's duty. Yes, it is duty, but it's also delight. It's not to be fettered, it is to be free. We, we sang about that just a few moments ago, didn't we? It's only in your will that I I'm free. It is to be free and it is to find fulfillment that nothing else can give to us. It is joy to walk in the ways of the Lord. It is joy to keep the commandments of the Lord. It is joy to trust and to follow the Lord, to know Him as our God. So, point number one, verse 17, fine words. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in His ways, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey Him. And Moses summarizes the covenant commitment of the Lord. 
in verse 18. And the Lord has declared this day that you are His people, His treasured possession, as He promised, and that you are to keep all His commands. Isn't that wonderful? That the Lord would take to Himself a people to treasure. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he is mindful of us, his chosen and treasured people, the apple of his eye, the joy of his heart. In a universe so vast and wonderful, a universe which speaks continually of His greatness and of His glory and of His majesty and of His creative power. His eye is fixed on us. He knows each of us by name. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows our plight and our pains, our joys and our sorrows, our todays, and our tomorrows. He knows and He cares. If you read verse 17 and verse 18, I wonder what kind of scene you picture. We've already said that, that we've seen Moses uh, essentially as a priest for the people of God and also as a prophet for the people of God. In verses 17 and 18, it seems to me that he is almost acting like a, a, an officiant at a wedding. It seems almost a, an irreverent thing to say, but it's thoroughly biblical imagery, isn't it? This exchange of vows, this promise of this covenantal relationship, of love and faithfulness. It's a wonderful thing. We are the bride of Christ. What a title God gives to us. The bride of Christ. Have you ever been at a wedding where you thought, how did he end up with her? What does she see in him? Well, that's what it's like here, isn't it, as we reflect upon that title that God has given to His people, the Bride of Christ. What has He seen in us? How did we end up with Him? And yet He loves us. He is our God. We are His people, and He will be faithful to us forever. He loves us, He treasures us, and He has great and glorious plans for our future. Wedding vows are fine words indeed, but only if both parties are willing to fight to be faithful to the promises that they make on that day. Fine words indeed, but as we turn on, we look to chapter 26, no, sorry, chapter 31, verse 16. Chapter 31, verse 16. 
the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And they do. How easy it is to speak or to sing fine words, and how much more difficult to keep those words, to live by those words, to fight, to be faithful to those words. How easy to sing Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be, and how hard to live that life, to surrender all that we have, all that we are, all of our hopes, ambitions, plans, dreams, to surrender it all to the Lord. What a challenge. How fickle we are, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The people of God have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They have been led into the land of promise, this land that they have been looking towards, longing for, for so many years, indeed generations. Finally, they have what the people of God have longed for. They are the, the ones to receive this great blessing, and yet no sooner do they enter into the land than they are prostituting themselves to these false gods. Fickle people, like Peter who says to Jesus, I will be with you even unto death, and then denies the Lord three times. And like you, and like me, fickle people, today we give thanks that God is not fickle. God is faithful. Matthew Henry says, though men be false, God be faithful. He did not abandon His people or His promises. He stayed true. He refused to walk away. Fine words, fickle people, and faithful God. That's our third and final point. How do we know that God is faithful? Especially when life is hard, when it's challenging, when it's relentless, when we can't see the fulfillment of the promises that we are looking forward to, when it just seems to go on and on, or we bounce from one bit of bad news to the next bit of bad news, and there seems to be no light penetrating the darkness, how do we know, how can we be assured that God is indeed faithful? Well, firstly, we can take a step back and look at our lives. Look at the, the bigger picture. Trace the story of our lives and see the good and gracious hand of the Lord at work directing, guiding, leading, blessing, working together things for our good and for His glory in our lives. I'm sure all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we take a step back, we'll see how He has worked. At times when we have not seen Him working, how He has worked for our good and for His glory. So, that's the first thing we can do. We can take a step back and look at our own lives, trace the story of God's faithfulness to us, and that will give us strength to look forward without fear. He who has been faithful to us will be faithful to us. 
but we look supremely, ultimately, not to our own lives, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We look to Him. So, the first thing is to look to our own lives. John Newton says, when we have been brought very low and helped, sorely wounded and healed, cast down and raised again, have given up all hope and been suddenly snatched from danger and placed in safety. And when these things have been repeated to us and in us a thousand times over, we begin to learn to trust simply to the Word and power of God beyond and against appearances. That's the first thing. Trace the faithfulness of God working in our lives. Remember how He has helped us, how He has delivered us, how He has been good and gracious to us in the past. But secondly, and more importantly, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming fulfilled Scripture. His coming was prophesied. It was promised in so many different contexts, on so many different occasions. It took longer than people expected it to. Uh, and so many had given up waiting, given up looking, given up longing for this promised King, this anointed one to come from God. And many, indeed most, were caught unaware when he arrived. But he did arrive, just like God said he would. And he was faithful, faithful to his fickle followers, his flawed followers. He was faithful to the end, he was faithful to the cross. How can a faithless people? be made right with God, only through the faithfulness of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God made man a human being, one of us, and yet without sin, utterly faithful to His people and to His Father in heaven, and to His mission, His calling from God the Father faithful to his followers, faithful to his Father, faithful to the end, which wasn't the end at all, because he was raised from death and lives forever. He says, behold, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. It's taken longer than many have expected, many doubt or disbelieve, but He is faithful, and He will come again just as He has promised, to make all things new, to receive the bride that He loves so powerfully, so profoundly, to take us to Himself, to wipe every tear from our eyes, to welcome us into this glorious new reality, and to judge the world in truth. And we can look forward to that day with confidence. Live your life like that day is sure and certain and coming soon, because it is. It is sure and it is certain. Let us declare that the Lord is our God. Let us trust and obey 
and let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And we sing.